Praise God, and welcome to the Word at My Church. If this is your first time joining us, we want you to know you're in exactly the right place. You're exactly where God wants you to be. And I want to encourage you to share this broadcast with at least three people, because as believers, we have a mandate to spread the gospel of Christ all over the world. We are a teaching ministry with a mission to help people get better by teaching them how the word works. So go ahead and get your Bible, your notebook, your pen, your highlighter, and let's get ready to dig into God's word. But before we do, let's begin with our Bible confession. So go ahead and grab your Bible in your hand and repeat after me. This is my Bible. I believe every word. I am who it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do by hearing its word and applying it by faith. It'll change my life. So I declare right now from this day forward that my life will never, ever, ever be the same again. And neither shall the life of anyone with whom I share this word. So I declare I'm going to share this word with someone so that their life may be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Precious God, Lord, we thank you today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the moments of preaching. And Father God, Lord, I ask you now, Father God, Lord, that you would, Father God, take my place, move me aside, speak to your people. Father God, Lord, say what you want to say and do what you want to do. Father, I'm just a vessel of your choosing. Father God, use me however you so desire. Father God, Lord, Pour out revelation from heaven. Father God, insight and foresight. Father, we know, Lord, that your word declares, Lord, anytime we can see, hear, and understand, Lord, we can be converted into that which we see, hear, and understand. Lord, so open the eyes of our understanding. Make our hearts receptive, our ears attentive. Father God, Lord, that we can receive, Lord, the unadulterated word of God. And Father God, Lord, that you may do what you want to do through us in the earth. Father God, change us, make us, Lord, that we may be, Lord, what you want us to be, and you can use us how you so desire to use us. And we thank you, Lord, today. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the lives, Lord, that shall be impacted because of what you're doing in us and through us. Father, that our homes will be better, our jobs will be better, Lord, our communities will be better, our families will be better, simply because that we have chosen, Father God, to submit our lives unto you. And we thank you, Lord, Father God, for what you're doing in us and through us. Continue to touch us, Lord, like never before. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Well, praise God, Lord, this morning. We bless you this morning. I'm so excited about every opportunity that I have to sit before you and to pour into your lives. But open your Bibles with me once again to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to begin this morning with verse 2. And I'm reading this from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 2.
And it reads, do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after, adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight. Now, if you've been with us, then you know that this is the year that God wants to restore the church to a place of greater influence and impact. And here Paul tells us that if we want to experience what God desires for us, it begins with our thinking. And that's why on the last time we talked about restoring the mind. But I told you one thing that is essential to the restorative or restoration process is that we must have some concept of the original condition or state of that which is being restored. For example, if you say you're going to restore a, a classic car, uh, you need to know what that car looked like off the showroom. And that's why Paul says, be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. In other words, we must allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, which means restoring them to the original way of thinking that God designed us with. See, we've got to be able to go back to the factory default. So when God first created us, before we ever entered the world, before it was corrupted by our flesh. See, we must understand that we were created in his image and likeness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So as believers, we have the same assignment that Jesus had, which is to destroy the works of the devil. But I told you, the problem is the majority of us in the body of Christ don't really believe we have the ability to do so. And God confirms that through the prophet Isaiah by saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, he said, if you, if you thought like I thought, then you would do things like I do things. Because if we can't see ourselves the way God sees us, if we refuse to believe what he says about us, we will never be able to do what he says we can do. And that's why the first step in the restorative process is restoring the mind. Now, that word restore means to bring back or recover from lapse, degeneracy, or ruin, a decline in quality or state of decay, or growing worse. Well, that being said, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And when you get to look at verse 22, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 22, and I'm reading this from the Amplified Version of the text, it says, strip yourselves of your former nature, put off and discard your old unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lust and desires 
that spring from delusion. See, he said what characterized your previous manner of life. He said, see, what, what actually made your unsaved life what it was was that unrenewed self. He said what made your behavior look like you were unsaved was the actual unrenewed part of you. That 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 part of you that that was not the factory. And he said strip yourselves of that nature. He said discard it. The stuff that didn't come from the factory you need to get rid of. He says and be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a flesh, fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new nature, the regenerate self, created in the image, in God's image, God-like, in true righteousness and holiness. I, I told you, if we're going to be restored to our original way of thinking, we must constantly renew our mind with the word. Because here Paul tells us that the way that our original nature got corrupted is that we were delusional. It's right here in the text. He said it becomes corrupt through lust and desires that spring from delusion. So the way that our original nature got corrupted is we were delusional. See, a delusion is defined as a deception, a false representation, an error or mistake preceding from false views that results in a misleading of the mind. And there are so many believers who suffer from what I call a delusion of faith because what they consider faith is not faith at all. What do you mean, pastor? Well, they have great hopes of what they would like God to do in their lives, but their hopes are not based on the word. And they're often swayed if there's any physical evidence or intellectual arguments against what they're believing God for. But we know the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So true faith does not comply with the laws of nature. And oftentimes it's contrary to all human reasoning. Then there are others who have just submitted to their circumstances. They've become crippled under the weight of their problems simply because they fail to recognize who they are in Christ and what they're entitled to. So they continue to allow their situations to have dominion in their lives. Uh, they remain subject to the things that should be subject to them. Somebody type in the comments, the enemy can no longer dominate you unless you believe that he can. Oh, somebody ought to just take a praise break right there. I'll say it again. The enemy can no longer dominate you unless you believe that he can. And in order to continue the restorative process, we must deal with this delusion. Go over to James chapter one. 
James chapter 1. And when you get there, look at verse 2. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Reading this from the New King James Version. And here it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Here James makes it clear that when we're going through adversity, it's important to maintain the right frame of mind. Now, jump down to verse 12 for a moment. Here he says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he says now, First, he told you that when you're going through adversity, it's important to maintain the right frame of mind. He said, because he said, you're going to be blessed when you endure the adversity. He said, when you make it through, he said, there's something waiting for you on the other side. He said, you're going to receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Look at verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. He says, so when trouble shows up, don't say God is giving you issues, that God has brought this on you, that God is causing these problems in your life. He said, because God is not tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. See, God is not trying to hurt you. So while you're waiting on manifestation, don't allow the enemy to convince you that God has failed or that he has let you down, that he's turned his back on you, and that you're on your own. Look at verse 14. He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. In other words, don't become delusional. Don't allow your situation, your circumstances, your pain, your lack, your need, your want to corrupt your thinking. He says, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, don't let your situation shift your thinking. Don't let it make you delusional, making you think that God no longer loves you, that things have gone bad, that God has turned on you, that you're out of favor with God just because the situation has changed. Don't allow it to impact your faith. He said, because God doesn't change. God is always good. They used to say in the old church, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. See, he doesn't change. He said there is no variation in him. He said that every good and perfect thing comes from God. So everything that's good and perfect, it came from God. And if it's not good and perfect, it wasn't from God. He said, so you, got, you can't allow your thinking to become twisted. 
You cannot be deceived. Do not allow your thinking to become corrupted. Now, go back up to verse three. Trust me, we're going somewhere. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. See, you got to know God is doing something. He said, and even in the midst of the situation, it's going to building you the ability to get through stuff. God's going to use the adversity that the enemy brings in your life to strengthen you. He says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed and driven by the wind. For let that man, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, notice what he just said. That a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. See, while you are trust, waiting, trusting, believing, operating in faith, you can't become double-minded. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Dealing with that other mind. See, because we know that the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And if we're going to be restored to our original way of thinking, our thoughts must become his thoughts. In other words, they must line up with the word of God. So we've got to exchange our minds for his mind. Trade our way of thinking for his way of thinking. Because if we're going to have the kind of influence and impact that God intended, we're going to have to operate in faith and walk in divine authority, which means we cannot have two minds. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, you know how it is. While you're listening to the word, it's, I believe it, I receive it. But as soon as the problem shows up, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're confessing one minute, by his stripes, I'm healed. Then as soon as a pain hits, you're saying, you're about to die. You've sowed your seed believing for your harvest. But as soon as a bill shows up, you think, I can't win for losing. And that's why James reminds us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because when you are double-minded, you forfeit your entitlement to anything you released your faith for the moment you let go of your faith. And that's why we've got to deal with this other mind. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look at how we ended up with this other mind. Because one of the first sources of this other mind are poor conversations. People who don't believe like you believe. 
And because they're not invested in your prosperity. In other words, they don't want to see you win. They have no problem speaking against what God said. First Corinthians chapter 15. Here Paul tells us in verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. As a matter of fact, the psalmist puts it this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. See, sometimes you've got to separate yourself, especially if you want what God has for you. As a matter of fact, go over to Genesis chapter 12. See, because poor conversations have a way of affecting your way of thinking. See, some of you may have to reconsider your break room partner, your lunch partner. You might have to go through your phone list, your contact list, your Facebook friends, and figure out, are there some people who I'm talking to that are affecting my faith level. Genesis chapter 12. And when you get there, look at verse one. Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse one, says, now the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God said, I've got somewhere I'm trying to take you. But as long as you keep hanging around and listening to folks who don't believe what I'm telling you, you won't get there. Somebody type in the comments, check your company. Yeah. Turn over to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. And when you get to look at verse 21, I pray I'm helping somebody today. See, because this double mind that we have has become the source of the delusion of our faith. And we've got to deal with this other mind. Mark chapter five. Look at verse 22. He says, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her and she may be healed and she will live. And so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you may recall that on the way Jesus is interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. Well, in verse 35, it says, while he was 
still speaking. Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Sounds like some poor conversation. People who have no investment in your prosperity and have no problem speaking against the things that God spoke to you. See, because you remember when Jairus came, what did he say? I know if you come lay hands on her, she'll live. That's what he said. See, because evidently God had put that in his spirit. He said, come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she'll live. See, he already believed that in his spirit. But the people who have come They're just his co-workers. People from his house. People from his neighborhood. People who have no investment. That's not their daughter. They said, why are you troubling the teacher? She did. They're more concerned about you disturbing Jesus than your daughter's life. So you know they can't be they can't be invested in your prosperity. And they have no problem speaking against what God said. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. In other words, don't listen to that foolishness. And he permitted no one to follow except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. See, the only folks you should allow to go with you are the folks who believe like you. Look at verse 38. It says, then he came to the house of the, of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Huh. Now, first of all, check this out. This is, this, this is amazing because notice it says they were weeping and wailing loudly. Now, if they were that upset and this wasn't just for show, would they not have rejoiced when Jesus said, why y'all making this commotion? She ain't dead. She just sleep. If they were that upset that the child had died, they would have started rejoicing. But instead, they ridiculed him. So that tells you once again, poor conversation. They were not invested in his prosperity. They were not. They had no stake in the game. They were not excited about seeing him win. And they had no problem speaking against what God said. It says, but when he had put them all outside, somebody type in the comments, you might need to put some folk out so you can get your head right. Oh, I think I need to say that again. You might need to put some folk out so you can get your head right. 
It says he took the father and mother of the child, those who were with him, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kuma, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked and she was 12 years of age. So what's the moral of the story? Jesus said, you need to stay away from folks who might change your mind because he called you to be the influence and not to be influenced. But in order to do so, you've got to deal with that other mind. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm telling you, God has a desire for us, the church, to be the ones that have the ability to change the thinking of others. We're supposed to be shifting people from the place of doubt to the place of belief. From the, from the place of thinking like the world to the place of thinking like God. And how do we do that? By trusting and believing God so that we can do things that the world cannot do. But you will never see it happen if you're wavering in your belief. If your mindset is being shifted by the world. if you still suffer from a delusion of faith. Second Corinthians chapter six, look at verse 14. Here he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I'm gonna pause right here for a moment because I need you to understand this. See, a yoke, most of us have never seen one in our lifetime because we, we, we're not from that time. But a yoke, is a tool. It's a big wooden tool that you put around the necks of a pair of oxen so that they can be used to plow with. And you put it, it's a big wooden bar, goes across the necks of two oxen, and now you've got a pair that you can drive together. And see, when they're driving together the same direction, the same speed, the same strength, you get a nice straight line. The problem is if you've got one ox that's pushing and the other ox that's being lazy and lagging, now your line starts to shift and it starts to be crooked. So you can't take an old strong ox and take this young weak ox and put them on there because now what's going to happen is you're going to end up with a circle because the weak ox is going to be pushing. The other ox is not going to be able to keep up and then he's going to be pushing off. So that's why it tells you not to be unevenly yoked. See, you can't be connecting yourself with people who are pushing in the wrong direction. That's not pushing the same way that you're pushing. That don't have the same enthusiasm. That don't have the same belief system. That don't have the same desire, the same passion for the things of God. Because it's going to get you off course. Look at what he says. He says, for what fellowship 
has righteousness with lawlessness. See, if you're trying to live right and somebody else is trying to live lawless, you're going to get off course. He says, what communion has light with darkness? He says, see, if you're trying to come in with common union with light and darkness, he said, it's not going to work. All you'll do is end up with a bunch of shade. He says, what accord has Christ with Belial? He says, you cannot come into agreement with Christ and the devil. There is no agreement there. He said, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? He said, see, we can't share anything with them. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He said, for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. In other words, don't allow yourself to be lumped together, grouped with, associated with, or categorized with everybody else. Somebody type in the comments. Fitting in is not a good thing. Oh, I need you to catch that in your spirit. Fitting in is not a good thing. See, I know all day life, you, you, you've been taught to try to do things to fit in, but fitting in is not a good thing. See, all my life, I've been a nonconformist. If everybody wanted to do it, I didn't want to. I have resisted the urge to do everything the crowd was doing just because I don't like to be like everybody else. I've always wanted to stand out. I always wanted to be different. It's the bane of my existence to have what everybody else has and to do what everybody else do. I want everything I got to be different because that's just in me. Well, pastor, you just arrogant. You just, no, God calls us a peculiar people. So you ought to be spiritually offended when people consider you as common. Because they don't know who they're dealing with. I told you God called us a great and strong people, the likes of whom there had never been or will ever be after us. See, there has never been anybody on this planet like me before. And you got to recognize that. So you've got to realize how special you really are. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because the second source of this other mind is passing circumstances. See, when we become fixated on how things look in the natural, the economy, the gas prices, the political climate, we can get so fixated on how things look that we forget what he said. Y'all remember the three Hebrew boys? They were in a bad situation. But remember, God was in it with them. And if they had been so focused on the problem, they would have missed God in it. And that's why Paul tells us in verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For things which are seen are temporary, but things which are not seen are eternal. Somebody type in the comments, 
It doesn't matter what you're going through. You're not staying in it. Oh, I think I need to repeat that one. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You're not staying in it. See, the word through is transient. It is defined as passage, a means by which something moves. So by the very definition of the word, you can't stay in it. Because it's only temporary. Oh, let me help y'all see this. Go over to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. Well, I pray I'm blessing y'all because I'm blessing myself. Mark chapter four. Beginning at verse 35. Here it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now you might want to highlight that. You might want to underline that verse right there in your scripture. Let us cross over to the other side. That's what he said to them. Verse 36 says, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Somebody type in the comments. He was in the boat with him. Yeah. So he told her, he said, let us cross over to the other side. And he was in the boat with him. It says, and the other little boats were also with him. Verse 37 says, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Hmm. So he said, we're going to the other side. He's in the boat with him. Storm comes up and he sleeps. I don't know about y'all, but see, uh, see when I was in the street and I used to have guys roll with me. See, y'all can see I ain't no small dude. I was always the biggest dude and I was always strapped. So however it went, I was always prepared. See whether I needed some artillery, I had it. Or if I had to use what my daddy used to call these South African soup bones, I was prepared for those too. And so when something popped off and somebody was with me and they started acting a little skittish, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? I said, don't you get scared till I get scared. And if I get scared, you should have been scared a long time ago. Yeah, I, I know that. that yeah, I, I know it just twisted your mind up. In other words, you ain't got to worry about me getting scared. It says when the storm came up, he was sleep on the pillow. So in other words, you should have went sleep too. 
Because if he won't worry about the storm, what you worry about it for? Because he said, let us cross over to the other side. But it says they woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care? We are perishing. Then he arose, rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind and the ceased. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Huh? See, when we focus on passing circumstances, we'll forget what he said. And even though we claim to believe, we'll step into fear and forfeit our faith. And that's why we have to deal with this other mind. Because the Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Somebody type in the comments. I'm not delusional. My mind is sound. Well, go over to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, because one of the third sources of this other mind are per perverse confessions. And that's why Jesus tells us in verse 31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. See, that's how people who have no relationship with God sound. That's how unbelievers talk. Man, I don't know what we're going to eat. I don't know what we're going to wear. I don't know what we're going to drink. He says, for your heavenly father knoweth you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. See, we've got to be careful not to allow the things we encounter or the people we associate with to affect our faith. Otherwise, we'll forget what God has promised and how much we mean to him. And before we know it, we will develop a habit of speaking things that are contrary to what we say we believe. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul exhorts us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Well, who is the first person to hear what you say? You are. So somebody type in the comments, what you say matters. He goes on to say, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the great day of redemption. I, I told you, Jesus gave up his life in order to restore our minds and correct our thinking. So when we start talking crazy, 
saying things that are contrary to what God said about us, it breaks his heart. See, because we're literally calling him a liar. And the Bible says, let God be true and every man be a liar. So before I say, God, I'm a liar, I'll tell my body I'm lying. I'll tell my wallet I'm lying. I'll tell my feelings I, it's lying. Because his will is for me to succeed in every area. And that's why he tells us in Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. See, when we stay in the word, it keeps our mind from entertaining contrary thoughts. I, I told you, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So even my thoughts have to obey him. Somebody type in the comments. You got to keep your mind and mouth in check. Now go over to Romans chapter four. Last scripture, Romans chapter four. Last scripture. Here it says in verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it is credited to him as righteousness. See the reason Abraham was able to be restored to a place of greater influence and impact. The reason he was able to receive what God had promised was because he dealt with the other mind. He avoided poor conversations by separating when God told him to. He paid no attention to passing circumstances. The Bible says he ignored the fact that he was a hundred years old, that his body was as good as dead, that his wife was barren, that her body was also dead. He refrained from perverse confessions. See, regardless of his experience, he remained consistent. He said about himself, whatever God said. When God changed his name to Abraham, meaning father of many nations, 
In spite of the fact that he had no children, he continued confessing God's promise over his life. It says against all hope, in hope, he believed God. It says he did not waver. He didn't become double-minded. He didn't become delusional in his faith. He refused to allow a double mind to cause a delusion of faith. And that's why if we're going to have the kind of impact and influence that God intended. We can no longer be delusional. We've got to deal with this other mind. Because the Bible tells us that a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? The Bible says that how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. Say what the people said, nothing. See, you got to make up your mind. Who are you going to believe? Whose report are you going to believe? We believe the report of the Lord. No longer going to be delusional. Not going to allow myself to be double-minded. I have the mind of Christ. Amen. God bless you today. I pray this word has blessed you. I pray you are going to be resolute in the things of God. But you've got to avoid poor conversations. You've got to ignore passing circumstances. And you've got to refrain from perverse confessions. Because those are the things that establish that double mind. That allow that double mind to get a foothold. See, because those are the things that are contrary to what God said to you. See, those poor conversations, they plant those seeds of doubt. Those passing circumstances, they confirm that doubt that the seeds have planted. And then that first conversation, it solidifies it and brings it to pass. And so now you're living this delusional life of thinking, I say I believe this, but I really don't. And you're actually delusional. And you're wondering why your faith doesn't work. But you got to make a decision. I'm going to deal with this double mind. I'm going to use the weapons of my warfare to pull down those strongholds. I'm going to take every thought captive and make it obey the word of God. And you listen to this today, you're like, man, I really needed this word because I've been struggling in my thought life. See, because most people are not disciplined in their thought life. We just think anything and we just let it go because, oh, I'm just thinking. No, I told you the Bible says, be careful what you think because your thoughts control your life. We've got to be mindful of that, that our thoughts produce the things that we live. 
And if you said today, this, this is revolutionary to me, and I just want to change my life from this point forward. Well, the first step is allowing Jesus to be your Lord. You've got to submit your entire life to Christ, including your thoughts. And if you want to do that today, it's easy. Jesus gave up his life to restore your mind so that you could live like him, be like him, think like him. The Bible says that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you could be saved. Salvation is free, but it comes with the cost of your life. You got to be willing to make him your Lord. He's got to have the ability to make your every decision, to direct your every step. And so if you desire that today, pray this prayer with me. Precious God, come into my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe you love me enough to give up your son. And I desire to make him my Savior and my Lord. I give Jesus permission to make my every decision. Sit on the throne of my heart. Rule my life. Be my father. Make me your child. Teach me how to live for you. If you've prayed that prayer, you're now part of the body of Christ, the family of believers, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop you. The next step in your journey is to find a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, a place that you can be united with other believers, where you can have a pastor who will teach you the Word of God, other believers who will support you, help you grow in the Word, teach you how to walk this thing out. And if you desire to be a part of my church, Lynchburg, all you have to do is connect with us. Go to our website, lovemychurch.org, click contact us, fill out a connection card, and one of our ministers will contact you, give you connection points, show you about how to get in touch with our ministry. We broadcast every Sunday morning at 12.15, every, Sunday, every Thursday evening at 7.30. And on our website, you'll find all the information about all of our other ministries, our women's ministry called Women of Worth, our men's ministry called The Man Cave, our marriage ministry called Marriage Seer Training, and we also have a, a Zoom Bible study, for our, especially for our partners, that we do each week. And we have some exciting new ministries, uh, changes to our ministry that are up and coming, and we're going to be announcing that in just a few weeks. But we want you to be a part of all of those things, so Go out to our website, click contact us, fill out a connection card so we know how to get in touch with you, so we can share this information with you. But we want you to definitely be a part of what we're doing here at my church and in the kingdom of God. Secondly, if you listen to this message today, you're like, man, this is amazing. I just want to help you guys continue to spread the gospel around the world. Click the donate button, sow financial seed. You can use Cash App, dollar sign, My Church Lynchburg, PayPal.me forward slash My Church Lynchburg, or you can use the Givelify app. However you desire to give, just know that your gifts are going to help us continue to do exactly what God's called us to do, and that's spread the gospel all over the world. You can sow your tithe, offering your seed, however you desire to give. Just know that your gifts are going to go toward helping us do what God's called us to do in the earth. And thirdly, if you know somebody who needs this message, and we all know somebody who needs to know this message, click like, share, tag. But make sure, subscribe, make sure you share this message with somebody who you know who needs it. 
do your part of making sure that the gospel is going forth. And make sure you come back and watch with us again on next time. God bless you today. I'm Pastor Tup. I love you. And see you again next time on The Word at My Church. Please stay tuned for our announcements. God bless you today. Pastor Stephanie for Women of Worth every first and third Thursday at 7.30 p.m. on Facebook Live. Join Pastor Tuck in the Man Cave every second and fourth Thursday at 7.30 p.m. on Facebook Live. Before the pandemic, our relationship was already in trouble. It's like we argue about everything. I mean, he comes home and he sits in the driveway, in the car, instead of coming into the house with me and his son. See, she doesn't trust me. And she talks about me to her girlfriends. Like she speaks so loudly like she wants me to hear. What am I supposed to do with that? Why do you have to get out of the bed at 11.20 at night to return a text? You see? She doesn't even know how to talk to me. And he refuses to talk to me. Like the first couple weeks of quarantine, together in the house all day and all night, just confirmed it's me. I can't do this anymore. You know what? I'm done. I think I'm done. Maybe we need to get some help. I think we need to talk to somebody. Marriages are under attack. And if you or someone you know needs help, then join Pastors Lewis and Stephanie Tucker for My Church Marriage Seer Training. Every fifth Thursday at 7.30 p.m., Pastors Lewis and Stephanie Tucker have designed a course to help your marriage to not just survive, but to thrive. Get the tools necessary for a successful, 
biblical marriage. You can enjoy this course live on Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV via the BoxCast channel or on Facebook and YouTube Live. Just search My Church Lynchburg. Why not make an investment into your marriage that will impact generations? My Church Lynchburg Marriage Seer Training every fifth Thursday at 7.30 p.m. You can now watch the My Church broadcast on your Roku and Amazon Fire TV and Apple TV. Simply download the BoxCast channel and look for the My Church icon. Or catch the word on the go with the word at My Church Podcast. Now available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music. Tune in iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Stitcher podcast platforms. Just search for My Church Lynchburg. Now there's no excuse to go without the word. And for those of you with Alexa-enabled devices, simply enable the My Church Lynchburg skill in the Alexa app. Then say, Alexa, open My Church Lynchburg and sit back and enjoy the word.